So we're here today with Morgan Stefanik talking about concussion. Morgan has a master's of science in athletic training. She's a certified and licensed athletic trainer, I believe in multiple states. Uh, she is a National Academy of Sports Medicine certified in corrective exercise, and she is a certified strength and conditioning specialist. So Morgan, excited to have you spend some time with us today. We really appreciate it. Uh, we're looking forward to kind of learning more from an expert in regards to like, what is a concussion? What should you do if you get one? Or what should you do if your son or daughter gets one? So thanks for coming on. And I guess let's start off like what is concussion? Well, first, thanks for having me on. It's very exciting. I've always wanted to be on a podcast. So I'm excited you're my first podcast. Um, so first, a concussion is a mild traumatic brain injury. Your brain sits in your skull in a cerebral spinal fluid, and it actually kind of is like a free-flowing entity. So when you have like a really bad car accident, or let's say you are playing football and you fall really bad, like you see it all throughout the NFL, athletes that get tackled on a crazy heroin like game-winning touchdown and they just hit their head off the side of the ground well your brain doesn't stop moving when your body stops moving and you get what's called a coop and a counter coop injury to your brain so it comes forward hits the forward the front of your skull and then it sloshes backwards and hits the back of your skull so you have a double-edged sword of injury that comes into that concussion causing in some of your brain that your brain has to try to recover from and it's a neurological injury and the gold, gold standard for diagnosing a concussion is a cat scan almost immediately which i don't know how many of us have that have, have that available so <laughs> so i guess kind of so to to clarify because i don't think most of us think about what you what you said in like let's cherry pick motocross so kids riding dirt bikes, you fall, your head hits the ground, the body is moving at a given velocity, so a given speed. And for anybody that are that's tuned in, this is like riding in an automobile down the road at 60 miles an hour. You are in the automobile and you're both going 60 miles an hour. If the vehicle stops, you're still going 60 miles an hour. In the case of the brain, it, when that rider falls off the dirt bike, and, and same thing in football, when action stops, the body is moving through space, the body stops, but the brain continues to go forward, and it yes. bounces off that side of the skull, and then it goes backwards, and it bounces off the back side of the skull. So we don't end up, So, and I didn't even really realize this or think about it, but you don't just have like a hit to the front of the brain, you actually have a hit to the back because the brain's going to bounce off the front and hit the back. Correct. Yeah. So it's, it's really like a, it's a two-way injury. And that's why when a concussion, like if you ever talk to anybody that's in my field, which it's national athletic trainer month. So give your athletic trainers some credit. They are, are actually like knowledgeable about these things. A, con a concussion headache they're going to complain of it being like a full encompassing headache, but just it's everywhere because 
both there's two sides of their brain that's injured whereas like let's say a tension headache is really coming from your neck and it's going to come up and make like a question mark or a focal headache where it's just one part of like it's like an eye or you pinpoint it so a concussion headache is going to be different than any other headache because you have the two sides of your brain being injured so it sounds like to a hundred percent confirm concussion, you would actually need to do a CAT scan. So yes, the only people that I know that are like, oh my God, you need to get a CAT scan because you have a concussion. The only people I can that I've seen do that is the military because they're like, oh, let's send you for a CAT scan. Um, most people um, where I've worked, I've worked at you know, all the different levels throughout school. I personally have worked in division one and junior college football. Nobody's sending them for a CAT scan. We're doing sideline evaluations and then daily follow-ups to watch symptom progression. And we can do a lot in-house. And like I said, athletic trainers are actually some of the most trained in concussions. And we're capable of like knowing our athletes and knowing when one, they're lying to us, and two, when something's not right. And we can kind of, well, not kind of, we can go off of symptoms and we can go off of demeanor and just knowing our athletes to say 100%, you have a concussion, you're not playing for the next seven to 10 days or until your concussion resolves. So in, and I guess we probably should have did the, done this first, but so athletic trainers would be the trainers that typically work for a high school or a school district. Um, absolutely at the division one level, which would be top tier collegiate athletics, definitely at your D2, D3, all your collegiate athletics are going to have an athletic trainer and you've worked in that capacity at schools and then most recently, you've been a, a contractor working with the United States military, correct? Yes, yes. So just about every college across the United States, except for maybe a small college, it's like an NAIA, will have athletic trainers. And they're getting more and more athletic trainers into high schools. And then, yeah, I have exclusively for the last, since 2018, worked with the military and a short stint with the with a factory actually they're even putting athletic trainers in factories now so athletic trainers are everywhere and actually the national athletic trainer month slogan this year is there's an AP for that so and in, in when we look at athletics so the cat scan would be if you had access to it and reality is you're not going to find that at a racetrack for kids riding motocross you're not going to find it at a soccer game. You're not going to find it at the football field. So then our, our next line, our, your next option is going to be the athletic trainer. Now, what, you know, what are you looking for as an athletic trainer? Like the experts, things you're looking for to determine concussion. And then what, what, would, you, what would you say parents should look for in their kids? or coaches that might listen to this, what, what should they be aware of? So what's a, you know, what's the athletic trainer? Let's start there. What's the ATC going to look for? So hopefully um, the athletic trainer has a really good rapport with 
each athlete and each athlete's parents, especially if they're under the age of 18, like hopefully the athletic trainer is integrated. They know everyone, they know what's normal for, you know, Oh, well, it's Wednesday. They're always moody on Wednesday. Like don't think anything of it. Whereas, you know, if you're just like, like I've also covered random games and you're like, I don't know if this is normal for this athlete or not, but here if the red flags get any worse. So like number one, red flag, which you don't really see as often is if they lose consciousness on the field or, you know, like you said, motocross, if they have but, a really bad accident and they like lose consciousness. But even before that though, it's kind of recognizing different patterns of behavior and things yes. that you would say, well, well, this is abnormal for this athlete, or this is abnormal for my son or daughter. So that would be kind of your first clue. And then the, yes. let's get into the red flag. So red flag would be, um, you know, they took a dirt nap, lights out, they knocked themselves out. So they can concussed in their sleep. That would be the, the big red flag. That's the biggest. And like in everything I've ever been a part of, read, whatever, all my emergency action plans, that was like, if they lose consciousness is 100% an ER visit. Um, and there's different like postures to look for too for an athletic trainer. There's like, if they're like this, there's like different hand motions and things like that that you look for as an athletic trainer as you're approaching a down athlete um and is that going to have to do with inflammation in a given area of the brain that changes their posturing yeah so it's it's either um a high order disorder as in like it's actually like in the brain or it's in the spinal cord which causes these different postures to okay show um if they are conscious and breathing okay cool that's two crises averted um spinal neck injury you then you know if i were to go to a down athlete first thing i'm going to look at is like okay well what's their posture are they breathing are they coherent can they talk you know as long as all those check all right well is it neck pain is it knee pain is it shoulder pain you know if then if they say it's neck then it's immediately like, let me check your C-spine or cervical spine. And if they're point tender along that, most of the time you're going to, at least every instance I've been in, except for one soccer player who decided to get up and walk away from me, um, you're going to put them on a spine board and send them. Uh, But let's say all that checks, they're just like, I hit my head really hard and things just don't feel right. Okay, well, can can you walk to the sidelines? And then we start a series of questions with symptoms. Um, is your vision blurry? Is, do you have any ringing in your ears? Do you have, do you remember what happened? Do you remember what you had for breakfast? Do you remember the score of the game? Can you read that sign that's about a hundred miles or a hundred yards away? Just different things like that. Cause that's what all, what all of that is doing is checking their um, cranial nerves. Um, you have 12 cranial nerves and then after all the questioning goes through then you test every cranial nerve um which you know do their eyes move which that's that leads to another one of the sideline tests which has been integrated into the new uh, military mace 2 test and for a while was its own standalone test but has now been brought into what's what we call the scat 5 um which if you want access to all these i can send them to you um and you can have them on digits but um, bombs is 
it's like all eye tracking and hearing and balance. So if all their symptoms are like, yeah, I don't feel right. I don't do this, whatever, whatever. You can then objectively test what's going on. So if they say this whole side of my face is numb, well, that's facial nerve, it's cranial nerve seven. So then you just do like all these random facial expressions. And if like this side groups, then, okay, hey, you need to go to the hospital, you know, and if they're under the age of 18, get a parent to take them. If they're over the age of 18, then that's like, hey, either I take them as the athletic trainer or maybe mom and dad are here. Mom and dad can take them to the ER or our team doc can take them to the ER or something like that. So there would um, be a battery of tests. If we have an athlete that has hit their head, there's going to be, if an athletic trainer is present, a battery of tests that you would do. And, and it sounds like some of that is probably going to be beyond what the average coach or, or definitely parent would be able to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like I mentioned that scat five and the one thing that we always have athletes in my experience, we always have athletes fill out is the symptom checklist and the symptom checklist is on a scale of zero of nothing or six. This is the most severe pain I've ever felt in my life. And for children, there's actually their parents can fill that out because a lot of the times children don't know how to express themselves. Whereas a parent can be like, no, this isn't right for my kid. My kid isn't normally this confused when you ask them a question or my kid's not this groggy and answering. So you give the parents the symptom checklist or even like, hey, take this home and do this with your kid on your own because they're probably going to be more receptive to you because they know you. So uh, how many questions are on that? Um, I think symptom-wise, there's 22 symptoms we look at. So at least 22 at least 22 about the symptom wise. Uh, if you're, if we actually have a parent run the entire scat for us, which sometimes I, I don't think that's how that's done. I think it's just the symptoms we have the parents do. I've never worked with children, so I'm not sure how the, that one works, but um, um, the, you know, the, the entire scat takes about 30 minutes because it's, short-term memory, long-term memory, balance, concentration. It goes through all these different um, higher order, higher order brain functioning, and then spits out a score. And regardless what the score says, a concussion is a concussion. Um, when I worked at the junior college, we, we really just went off of symptoms because once your symptoms resolve, we can move you through a hundred other things to get you ready to play again. But if you still have symptoms, we can't go anywhere any further. So symptoms really at the end of the day, the, the event, the episode and the athlete hitting their head, that's the first piece. The next piece really sounds like is, is are there symptoms in it? Mm -hmm. And it sounds like regardless of score, if the athlete has hit their head, and they're expressing symptoms, they probably did concuss at some level. Correct. And um, I know when I was going through school, I graduated in 2017. They had done away with the grading of concussion. So 
back in the early 2000s, it was a mild, moderate, or severe concussion. Now it's just a concussion. They still call it a mild traumatic brain injury, like in all the scholar scholarly papers, but it's still, you either have a concussion. It's a concussion. It's either you, you got one or you don't. Yep, exactly. Okay. And then, so what, like, what should the lay person do? What should that coach be aware of? And what should the parents be aware of? And then like, what are the, like, what should we be doing? If your, your son or daughter has a fall and they hit their head, like, when do you, like, when do you say, okay, they just fell and hit their head because athletes do hit their heads. They do in soccer and football and hockey and basketball and definitely in motocross. But when do we start to say, okay, they hit their head and then we need to do this next. So again, the guy kind of goes back to knowing your athlete, knowing your kid. Um, if your kid's just being really quiet and you normally have a very bubbly kid that's like ready to go do whatever and jump off of a cliff and do parkour and, you know, just be a kid um, when they don't want to do that or they usually want to tell you every little detail about their race and you're like, well, you know, like, you know, what did you think going around that corner? And they're like, I honestly don't know. That's when a red flag gets raised. Like, I'll never forget this. One of one of the times I was working football at the junior college, we were winning like 34 to seven against this team. And my athlete comes up to me and he's like, and I was called Mama Morgan. He's like, Mama Morgan, I don't feel right. His personality didn't change. He was just as flamboyant and fun as ever, but he was like, we're still in the first quarter, right? And I was like, we're in the third quarter. What do you mean we're in the first quarter? And he's like, when did the score become 34-7? And I was like, dude, you got four of those touchdowns. And he just, he didn't know. He 100% was just like, what do you mean? I got four touchdowns. What do you mean? We're in the third quarter already. What did I miss at halftime? And you're just like, how do you not? All right, you're sitting on the sidelines the rest of this game. I mean, again, his personality didn't change, but he had no memory of it. He had no memory of the game. He had no memory of what team we were even playing. I was like, how do you know what team we're playing? So so then in, in that case, you may not have witnessed him hitting his head and and obviously he didn't he didn't know that he did he same personality same mannerisms except he said he didn't feel right and then he didn't have that short-term memory it was it was gone so therefore okay he clearly he's playing football so most likely somewhere he hit his head he has a concussion so you sit him for the game now if you have an athlete that falls hits their head and they get up they're they're fine uh, they're aware of where they are, what they're doing. They know what's going on, no change in personality. And they're not saying my, my, I have a headache or my head hurts. Then they're probably fine. Is that reasonable? So yes and no. Um, so him, we probably let him play too long, but again, it was myself and one other athletic trainer and we just didn't see him hit his head. He took some routine falls, some routine tackles. We we're like, okay, fine. He 
didn't seem like he was acting any different. But then a lot of the time, especially on the sidelines, athletes self-report. You know, there's how many of them and us, and there's been, I've talked to other athletic trainers who their teammates will keep athletes from us because they don't want to lose them or the coaches. It's kind of, they don't want their key asset removed from the game. Correct. So I know at least at the NFL level, that's where they start getting the sideline spotters that sit up in the nest and they call down to the athletic trainers on the sideline. They're like, Hey, number 47 took a hard hit. The reason uh, they started the sideline spotters in the nest was to identify when a player would take a bad hit so that they could radio down to the sideline trainer and tell them, hey, number 47 needs to be evaluated for a concussion. That hit was not pro quo. So, In, it, in the event that an athlete is evaluated, if they're fine, they're fine, right? It, yes. You know, if, if you hit your head and you're not expressing any symptoms of concussion, then you probably didn't concuss. Yes. And that's how we deal with guidelines, at least. Because at least in football, I mean, there's potentially there's contact head to head on every play. Yes. Let's say then, you know, you have a, a rider, a racer that crashes, they hit their head. What should, like, what should you do as a parent? So like, as a parent, your number one thing is to check to see if your your rider, your athlete is acting normal. And if they aren't acting normal, then take them to like an urgent care. See if they have like, like university at Buffalo has a lot of gun sports med urgent cares and i've seen a few of them around here as well here in tennessee like there's specific sports med urgent cares that will hopefully evaluate for a concussion i i don't know i haven't been at them haven't worked at them i don't know what they do but but so step one would be if if your kid takes a fall and hits their head if they're not acting like themselves you need to get them evaluated yes so don't one. tell them to put their helmet back on and keep riding. No. So Not get them evaluated. A good, you know, school year, if you want them to like continue riding the rest of their lives, things like that. Like if you, if you just, if this is the only race that matters in their life, I mean, do what you want. I'm not telling you you should, but if you want them to be a productive member of society and you want them to graduate with honors and go to college and have a a lifelong obsession with this sport, then that's not the right answer. So then get them evaluated. But step one is look for, you know, are, are they not being themselves? Are they not having that short-term memory recall, which was the, when our, our son crashed the one time and, and clearly hit his head, that was the first thing we were told to do was, you know, ask him if he remembers what he had for breakfast, ask if he remembers coming here today, ask if he remembers, you know, what you were, what he was doing when he first got on the track, things of that nature. So it sounds right. like that's what we would be looking for then. Yeah. So I remember you telling me about that incident with Vince and like that, that coach is a hundred percent accurate. You need to check to see, you know, are, you know, does he remember waking up? Does he remember coming today? Because that shows the difference between 
retrograde antegrade amnesia one of them retro as in in the past they forget what happened before the incident antegrade they forget what happens after the accident okay so step one would be are are they themselves and then a second step would be do, are are they forgetting or not recalling things that they did this morning or things that happened right after the crash yep in in both cases and instances it, it'd be time to go get go go have the rider go have the athlete evaluated yes and and probably ideally by if you have the opportunity to go to a sports med type facility that would be ideal but if not go to the go to what professionally have access to yeah i mean if the er is all you have then go to the er i just so it sounds like from a you know a, a true clinical diagnosis would be a cat scan but yes. in lieu of that very readily accepted is going to be that in the field tests that athletic trainers are doing day in and day out at the high school level, the collegiate level and the professional level in athletics. So there's, there's kind of, yes, theoretically, we might argue the CAT scan says for sure, this is, this is what it is. It is a concussion, but the next best thing we have is that professional in the field that's trained can ask the right questions and then do a in the field diagnosis. Yeah. Now, what is the current recommendation? If an athlete does have a concussion, how long do they need to not participate in their sport? So everything in athletics is a depends. It depends. Okay. So um, I remember going through school and my professor telling me that, and I was like, everything is, it's depends. Like, you know, but it really is like, let's say, you know, if they still rated concussions, it's a mild concussion, their symptoms resolve in two to three days and you start putting them through the return to play protocol, they could be gone from the time symptoms resolve. So let's say it takes three days, then it takes another seven to 10 days to go through the return to play protocol. Well, there's anywhere from 10 to 13 days that they're out of sport. What's the return to play protocol? So the standard return to play protocol is you check their symptoms every day. As long as their symptoms are gone, they start to run. Um, if running increases their symptoms, you have them stop where they are and then they come back the next day, hopefully symptoms gone then they restart phase one. Um, I'm a little rusty on the phases because it's been a minute, but once they can run with no provocation of symptoms, then they go to more sport specific thing at every phase. And then like for football, for example, day 10 or day seven, depending on where it falls in the week and the weekend, they will, play non-touch non-contact football at practice that day and then the next day is fully padded but under very close supervision and as long as they let that does not involve any symptoms okay well now you can do a full practice come back to me if anything happens type of situation so the steps would be you need to be symptom free 
first. Definitely. That's step yeah. one. Symptom free for a day. That's step one. So you check that box and then you have a return to play protocol. And that's in in that involves in in is that is that something that I can put a link to? In, yeah, I, I can find one and send it to you. And then I can attach it to YouTube and or wherever the podcast shows up so people can go grab that if they're interested. But it sounds like you're, you know, that phase one is, do you have symptoms? No, you've been a day without symptoms. Okay, run. If run does not bring on the symptoms, you might progress to the next phase of the return to play protocol. But if you're fine, you run, you start having symptoms, you're back to day one. You're back to the first step. Yeah, so the, the progression will go hey, does phase one involve symptoms? Okay, well, if that involves symptoms, we'll step it back, come back tomorrow. All right, you get through phase one, now you go to phase two, say phase two causes symptoms, step it back, we'll redo phase two tomorrow. So that's why I say it depends. Um, okay, so it really depends on how the athlete is recovering from the concussion. Yes. But if you can, if you can send me a copy, at least so people can have an idea of what that looks like, because I think in a lot of sports, there's probably, unless you're, unless you're playing a traditional ball sport, there's probably no awareness of this because there isn't um, an athletic trainer. So the other thing that started to come out about this time I was leaving the college setting was return to learn. And that's for everyone trying to, obviously, student athletes, you know, student comes first. But if you have a really bad concussion and you can't go sit in a classroom because I'm sitting here staring at a PowerPoint and there's like these terrible LED neon lights that keep like shining in my eyes, giving me my headache and my headache keeps getting worse throughout the day. Um, they started a whole return to learn protocol as well to help the student athletes make it through a day with a concussion in school. So there's a, there's, there's going to be an academic piece to it then too. Yes. Okay. Yep. So there's, I'll send you um, the return to sport and the return to learn. And I'll also send you the parent and the, um, the SCAT five that I do. And then the, also the one for adolescent children so that parents can kind of get a general idea of what this looks like of what maybe it should be. And I, it sounded like with the scat five, I don't think that's like, I don't know that I want to try and attempt going through two dozen tests on my, on my kid. Like I don't, and I have some familiarity with this stuff. I don't know that I have the right skill set to do that. And I think if, if there's, if there's signs of concussion, I think I'm probably going to go to the doctor. And that's the right answer in all reality. Like I'm not sitting here telling you about this concussion so that you can be a, your own little athletic trainer. You never need to go to the doctor again. Like, um, but the down, the down and dirty is if they hit their head and they're not behaving like themselves and they don't remember what they had for breakfast or what they did earlier in the day, then you probably like, you probably shouldn't let them put their gear back on and get back on the track. Or put their, their helmet back on and get back on on the football field. And, and sadly, in soccer, you know, there are no pads. There is no helmet. So if, if an athlete has head-to-head -head contact, it's head-to-head. -head. If they're heading the ball, it's, it's the same deal. There's nothing dissipating that energy. 
So there were some things coming out when I was still working in the college setting of like, it was just a bunch of pads that went around their head and like a headband. Yeah, but it wasn't a headband. It was specifically marketed as a concussion headband, um, which if you looked at the research behind it, it was just, it was a money grab because they knew concussions was a hot topic and they were going to capitalize on it. in in that too, like pr- protective equipment wise, I don't know how much uh, on the equipment side you're aware, but but really, you know, it, years ago I thought if if you get a helmet, the idea was you had a hard helmet and it would protect your head, not that it would dissipate the energy from your head hitting something. And really, that's in in that energy dissipation. You know, if you have a force coming this way to your head. You, you want to find a way to send that energy in all directions, not straight into the head because straight into the head means the brain is going to go from not moving to moving at high speed and every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So it's going to hit one side and then it's going to have that opposite reaction and it's going to go and hit the other side. Yeah. The, the biggest thing that I had to constantly argue with, with my football players was like, it's there to protect your face and your head. It's not there to lead with, which to make it all the way to collegiate level and still have to be told that like blew my mind. Um, but they were, you know, if you look at the last time I looked at football helmets, like the Rydell speed, the speed flex with the, the piece in the front flex. If you happen to hit that part of your head, it dissipated forces down the crown of the helmet. Um, still like even though that's like the top at least at the time that I looked at this was the top market helmet on the line it's still not going to protect your brain from a concussion a concussion comes from internally in your brain in your head so if you don't there's no way to protect that I mean you can eat a high fat diet all you want and be on keto cool um that's going to just make it so your neuroplasticity is there to recover probably faster, but that's not meaning that it's going to protect you from a concussion. But you still can't. And that's the thing. I think helmet technology, even the racers and riders are no longer allowed to wear a GoPro helmet cam because the design of the, the helmet design now is basically a sphere with no edges and even the visors break away and snap off. Everything is designed to dissipate energy. And having that camera stuck on your helmet, instead of dissipating energy, it's going to cause helmet to stop moving. You know, it's it's basically going to be a stick that stops the helmet from dissipating the energy. And the way I look at it today with helmet, I mean, years ago, we looked at helmets. You wanted a hard plastic, a polycarbonate. Or, you know, today the the big money is going to be carbon fiber shell. And then you wanted foam in the inside. And you were thinking, well, if I hit my head, I don't want like that physical trauma to the outside of my head. When really it's like the Ferrari Enzo automobile or a Formula One car or an Indy car or a NASCAR where especially the open wheel cars and like the Ferrari Enzo, when they crash, they're supposed to peel apart. So the cockpit doesn't get the brunt force of the accident because that energy got dispersed through everything just peeling away from the cockpit 
and the the newer helmet designs and i won't use any of the the names of the technology um for any number of reasons but that they're trying to design the helmet so that if an athlete hits their head or rider or racer hits their head it's going to send the energy everywhere not just a point load in one spot that causes the brain to bounce around in the skull right and i think it was um there was i think it was the motocross helmet that came out with like these little suction cups that went on the inside between the the polyester or the plastic and the foam that actually protected and moved with the person right yeah like i remember seeing that when i was still in school working at a high school and we were like wow they would do that for football like imagine what that could potentially do for sport you know Right. And that technology has continued to evolve since the time that you would have seen it. And now there's, there's, I don't want to say, I guess, competing technology because it's different, but at the same time, the end result is dissipate energy and and keep it from being directed right at the skull and specifically the brain. When you look at things that have changed and, and things you didn't mention in all of this discussion in and I guess we'll, we'll do this this way. Like, what are the top three things you should do as a coach, as an athlete yourself, um, assuming you, you may have enough self-awareness or as, as a parent, like, what are the top three must do's if, if an athlete hits their head? An athlete, number one, needs to advocate for themselves. Like I've, I've talked, I've heard some horror stories about some of my colleagues that are at a high school and they're the only one and you have six sports going on and you can't cover everything. You're just at the highest risk sport, but let's say you're at football, but soccer's got a match going on as well. And you can't be there. You know, that athlete, let's say they get up and walk away and they just say to the coach, coach, I don't feel good. I shouldn't go back in. And if that coach continues to put them in, that's when the athlete needs to advocate for themselves, go to their parent, and their parent can handle the athletic director and that whole situation. But an athlete, especially, you know, I've had it happen to me even at at the same football game I was talking about earlier, I had a parent come up to me and say, I think my my son needs to be evaluated for a concussion. And I looked at him and I was like, what's up, man? And his personality was different. And I was like, all right. I'm not, I'm not God. I can't see everything. And they stayed away from me all game. So how was I supposed to know, you know? So the athlete one needs to advocate for themselves. Number two, the athletic trainer needs to let the family know, Hey, this is who I am. And the athletic trainer needs to build that rapport. This is who I am. This is what I can do. You know, I'm, I don't know everything, but I do know this. If you have questions, please come to me, whether it's about a sprained ankle or concussion. If I don't know the answer, I'll point you in the right direction. Because if you don't have those connections in your community, everybody's going to laugh at you and you're not going to get the respect that this profession has worked so hard to get. Because um, a lot of people don't even know what an athletic trainer are, what an athletic trainer is to this day. I still find myself telling people I'm not a personal trainer because they hear trainer and they're like, oh yeah, I need to get back in shape. 
Um, small tangent. But, you know, so between athlete advocating themselves, athlete or trainer building that rapport, and number three, like as a parent, listen to what your child is saying. Like if your child is saying, I'm tired after they just took a hit to the head and you did everything, you went to the ER and everything checked, like, okay, let your child sleep because a concussion is a brain injury. And if you keep them up, their symptoms are going to get worse. So yeah, the next day, their headache's going to be worse. They're going to be more sensitive to light, more sensitive to sound. They're not going to want to eat. They're going to they're gonna be irritable. They're going to be all these things that we're highlighting as a symptom. And then you still send them to school the next day. Like, no, <laughs> let so, them sleep. So the third one would be listen to your, your athlete, listen to your son or daughter. And if they say they're tired, let them sleep. And let's tie that into the three don't do's because- one of the don't do's if you had a concussion used to be don't let the person that has the concussion go to sleep. And that's changed for the reasons you just described, which is if you're, if you're now sleep deprived, all of the symptoms are going to get worse. And well, like with everything else, recovery is impaired if you're not getting enough sleep. So what are the don't do's then? Because letting the athlete go to sleep now, yeah, go ahead. So what are, what are some things we shouldn't do if we have a concussion? So as I mentioned already, don't keep them up. Like don't, don't keep them up. Uh, don't, because again, like all the things I just said, it, they're just going to get worse. Let them um, sleep. Yeah. It's like, I know it's really hard to change that idea of like, but I was told for all these years that they can't sleep after they take a hit to the head. Okay. Well, if you're really that concerned, you can go in and check on them a couple of times and, you know, wake them up, make sure they wake up, but let them go back to sleep. You know, don't, don't be overbearing. I mean, be overbearing, but don't be overbearing. You know, another don't do is be on their phone. I know that every kid these days wants to be on their phone all the time, but that blue light is going into their eyes. And there's a lot of research out about like blue light and concussions and how it actually makes it worse. Just like, uh, like you shouldn't have blue light before bed for the same reasons. It doesn't help you sleep as well. I do say in everything I've ever learned that you want to limit blue light and you want to limit like light coming in. I mean, I don't know how many times, I don't know if you've ever had a tension headache, but if I have a really bad tension headache and I'm about to get a migraine, the last thing I want to look at is a screen. So now amplify that to your brain is basically short circuiting. That's what a concussion is. And now you're just beaming light in through your eyes, which connect right on your brain. This is um, cranial nerve two, one, two, and then moving your eyes is three. So now you have two of the 12, at least two of the 12, moving constantly and not resting, which is then going to make your concussion worse. So it, the, you, that you would say it's, it's readily accepted to limit blue light exposure. Yes. So that means kids stay off your mobile devices. Parents, if your son or daughter has concussed, take, take the mobile device away until they're symptom free. Or, or if they have to be on it, limit it. Yeah. Or like if they are on it, turn the brightness down. It, that's kind of one of those sleep studies that I've read a lot about. And 
sleep studies are huge right now. Um, but even sleep studies say, which if it's good for a sleep study, it's going to be great for a concussion, you know, turn the, for the same you, reasons. Yeah. For the same reasons. If you have to be on your phone, like I have to send this email, you know, as an adult, if I have, I have to send this email because deadline is 20 minutes, like, okay, turn the blue light down and then send your email and then put it away. Rest. What's the third don't do if you've got a concussion or an athlete or son or daughter that's concussed? Don't rush it. Like, don't, don't be like, all right, yeah, I hit my head yesterday. I'm still feeling off. I'm just going to go do my normal schedule. Um, as I alluded to earlier, you know, you want to be able to do these things for life. Like, I, you know, for me, I want to be able to run my whole life. I want to be able to play hockey my whole life. I want to go rock climbing again. I want to do what all these things, I want to ride a dirt bike the rest of my life. I want to be able to drive when I'm 16, you know, things like that. Well, don't rush back from a concussion. Don't lie about a concussion. Like just take it for what it is. So it's an, it's an L right now because short term, I wanted to play in the championship game, but I got a concussion second to last game before championships. Well, guess what? You're a freshman. You're going to have three more opportunities. And that's that, you know, that short term 10 to 21 days off or 10 to 14, whatever is appropriate is short term. And then you have the rest of your life. I think like to recap the three, you know, three do's is, one athletes need to advocate for themselves and their parents need to do the same, it, especially in sports where coaches might want to keep a key player in, or maybe the athlete wants to gear up and go do another moto. Like the right answer is that means mom and dad, or somebody needs to advocate for that athlete and say, not today, the athletic trainers in, in sports where the athletic trainers are there, the family, the parents need to know who that person is, if they're available and, and, and build a, at least a familiarity. So, you know, that resource is there. And hopefully for some of the people that didn't know what athletic trainers do, they, they don't just give your kids ice and they don't just tape knees and ankles. Like they, they do other things. And this is probably the most, one of the most important things you guys do. And then the third do is, is parents, coaches do listen to your athlete like and, and if they are saying that they're tired it's okay to let them sleep which ties us into the don'ts like if your your athlete is concussed don't don't make them stay up all night let them go to, if they're tired let them sleep don't be on your phone any more than necessary let the eyes let those nerves that are tied to it you said what cranial two and three let yep. those let those areas rest because you like, you need to rest to recover. And then the, the last one is like, don't rush recovery. And you've seen many parents, even when we were training athletes, they would want, you know, they would want their kids back in sport right away. And there's, there's some things that, okay, there's a window. Some athletes are recovered towards the end of that window. And some athletes might be at the earlier end of the window, but there's still a window of recovery. And a lot of it is read. A lot of those windows are readily supported today by peer reviewed real academic research 
you know, it's like a broken bone. They, they know how long it's going to take for a broken bone to heal. You guys know how long it's going to take if somebody still has symptoms of concussion and you have a path forward and you're not like, you can't skip it. Just to kind of piggyback off that third one, like don't rush it. So there is a thing called second impact syndrome with concussions. And what that is, is you get returned too soon and then you sustain another concussion. And what that actually does is it messes up all the neurotransmitters and neuro things in your brain. Not a neuroscientist, just an athletic trainer, but it messes up all the stuff in your brain. So then all your hormones are off, all the things that are supposed to be healing because they didn't finish healing. It actually ends up making the return to play longer or in the worst case scenario, it can kill the person. And and there are some in motocross, there's some top name athletes that have concussed a, a absurd number of times. And I, I'm aware of another podcast and I, I don't know these people. I can't verify it, but they've said that they've had their, they've had their brain scanned and they've met with neurologists and they've been fortunate enough to where, yes, they've had way more concussions than the normal human, but they, what they, at least it appears they didn't have was repetitive concussions. And that sounds like where the real, the greatest danger is where you've concussed and then you're not recovered, and then you can cuss again. Correct. And then to piggyback off of what you were saying, with multiple concussions, well, just like if you sprain your ankle, you're more likely and susceptible to sprain that ankle again. Well, with one concussion and it messing up the brain levels, let's just put it that way, because there's a lot of things going on in your brain, you are actually going to become more susceptible over time to more concussions because, you know, before it took, you know, some killer motocross accident, flying off her bike, cartwheeling in the air, and that's what caused your first concussion. Well, your second concussion could just be a routine fall off the bike because things are different now. Um, and that, you know, one concussion begets another concussion. I'm not saying like, oh my God, just sustained a concussion. You just, just stop living. Like you stop doing what you think is fun. I graduated with a kid from high school from football, lacrosse, and what other, oh, wrestling. He had sustained six concussions by our senior year. And those are just the ones anybody knew about. Yes, exactly. And the only reason we all knew about it was because he had a special helmet for football and lacrosse. And they were probably severe enough that led to him having to have a special helmet, which means there are probably many others. And that's the other side of it, you know, and I I think for parents out there, educate yourselves about the protective equipment, seek greater understanding about that energy dissipation, because there are, there are two helmet technologies that do offer some of that energy dissipation and multiple brands have them. Yes, they often cost a little bit more, but it does make a difference. You don't just want a hard plastic shell around your son or daughter's head. You want that shell, but you want something that's going to dissipate energy and reduce the blow to the brain. And then something else you had said, those motocross guys that got their brain scan, they had shown multiple concussions over time, but not back to back. Well, 
that's where, especially with the NFL, the big highlight was was CTE. So maybe they're also going through tests for CTE right now, which is chronic traumatic encephalitis, which is swelling of the brain from repetitive concussions. And then that leads like, you know, we don't have enough understanding of that. Like we're st- the medical community, the neurological community is still understanding what more of that need, me- like what those things mean. But what, what, what I think they do understand is, you know, quite simply, if you have a son or daughter and they are active, cause it, this doesn't have to happen playing sports you could be skateboarding riding your bike roller skating or whatever um if they hit their head and they are not themselves then there's probably a reason to be concerned so that's the one thing that that we do know today and it is readily accepted biggest takeaway kids not acting themselves take them to urgent care sports med clinic er whatever you have available and get them checked out if you don't have an athletic trainer. Now I know athletic trainers are making it to like Vans Warp Tour with like all the skateboarding guys, like they're starting to get out there, but that doesn't mean they're going to be there. And that's why, you know, what's that front line for a coach or a parent to be aware of? Like what you may not, your, your community might not be big enough to support having athletic trainer in your schools. Uh, Not everybody gets to play collegiate sports. And then when we look at non stick and ball sports so motocross any almost any motorsport racing that's not they don't have access to the resources that the stick and ball sports do they're many times they're not big enough so at minimum kind of my goal was selfishly for me if you can see the picture on the television behind me like that's my kid taking a digger and yeah i didn't know what to do and i hadn't even thought about it I'm like, holy cow, like I, he obviously hit his head. <laughs> like, now what? Like, I don't even know what do I do? And I was aware of concussion protocol because I had worked with tons of athletes from a training on the training side. Um, so my goal was kind of at least give people a little bit more awareness of what to look for, what's going on. The fact that we don't say keep keep the kid up all night. It's okay to let him sleep. And then also kind of highlight like hey there are people in most communities called called athletic trainers and this is one of the greatest things they provide the sport yeah yeah i know we're my my profession's kind of in a weird spot right now i was trying to get more exposure with things um because we're like i said march is national athletic trainer month and we're in so many areas now that you would think everyone knows what we are and what we do, but no, we're, like I said, I still explain went to play with closet the other day. I was like, yeah, I finally got a job on Fort Campbell, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, oh yeah. Like, you know, like, you know, you're a trainer. Like, oh, okay. Well, I was explaining my job description and they're like, oh, maybe sports med. And I was like, I'm just going to start describing myself as a sports medicine person because they understand that they don't understand athletic trainer. Like, I don't Unless you've had kids play high school sports in a larger community in a larger school district where they can afford to fund athletic trainers, you don't really hear about it. And even if you're in a, a more rural market, 
and maybe the local physical therapy practice or the local orthopedic practice has one or two sports med docs and maybe they have some sport specific or PT that focuses on athletes and then maybe they have an athletic trainer, they might contract that out and you might see those people wearing a polo and khaki pants at the athletic events. But most people in the crowd don't, they just look over there and like, well, they're all therapists or they're all doctors. And, you know, because they're provided by XYZ orthopedic practice or what have you, but many communities, they are there and it's, it's becoming, I'm, I'm seeing more of it. I've seen more of it in my community. I know our schools have more athletic trainers than they did 10 years ago, but in motorsports and at the racetrack, we normally, you know, normally there, there are ambulances and there are EMTs and things of that nature at the, at the races. Um, but that being said, you know, they're not a, a lot kids fall. I mean, when you're riding a dirt bike, you fall, we, you don't get to skip that. So that's just part of the game. But at what point do you, should you be concerned? And I think you kind of answered that question. Yeah. Anything else you would say? There, there are some, there has done a lot of research recently in the last, and I say recently as like the last five to 10 years on gender differences between concussions. And I clicked on like three of the links today, just to recap and remind myself what's been going on. And they said that females sustain more concussions than men. Like, no, I think it's just that. And, and every every single one of these articles was like, females just, you know, are like more in touch with themselves and know when something's off and they're more likely to say, hey, something's wrong. Where males like, nope, it might be off, but I'm just gonna keep on. So that's, up. and that's probably, and I would say that there there are other things along gender lines like that. I would when you started to mention that I hadn't considered it, but I, my thought was immediately the males under report. Yes. Whereas the females are, are probably more inclined to say, you know what? I hit my head and I think something's off where the males will say nothing and just attempt to continue to play. And I guess, you know, that, and I didn't even, I never thought of that. I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. I hadn't heard that before. So I guess that's something else for the parents and coaches and athletes out there to be aware of, you know, if, if you have a male dominant sport, you know, make sure you have that conversation where like, Hey, like, don't be a knucklehead. If you, if you hit your head and you are not right, you need to say something like, it's not, there's nothing wrong with that. No one's going to think lower of you for doing that. In fact, if you say that and we can get it addressed, you're going to be back riding at your level much sooner. Yeah. Some of them too kind of focus on the hormonal difference of females in the adolescent time frame. I mean, it's just like ACLs with females. Like females are more likely to tear their ACL on their period than um, when they're not on yeah, their period. Yeah, but then we can get into, I mean, that starts into, a, you and I can have a discussion about connective tissue, elasticity changes, QL angle, uh, pre-adolescent play patterns and how they differ between male and female athletes. And then also yeah. what those hormones may or may not do to the brain in terms of elasticity or plasticity. But I think that's probably way beyond. <laughs> yeah. I quickly lose the audience. Their studies are out there. I mean, I clicked on them and read that abstract and was like, yeah, it's interesting. Not today, but yeah. I mean, is 
there are there are a lot of the male female difference like I'm my thesis was on the female athlete triad so I I love seeing I, I like to dig into what makes a female athlete so much different than a male as a female athlete myself like how am I different like why does everyone say I'm different because I'm a female like well this is how you know well so, that would be one of the examples and it's you know the number one I guess we can go this deep into the weeds. The number one injury to an adolescent females is an ACL tear. And it would be interesting. There's probably now a data point. I mean, I'm four years removed from training athletes, but it's probably data points that say statistically this many female adolescent athletes that tore their ACLs were during their menstrual cycle. So there's probably a correlation there that's been noticed. And we know that, you know, contact connective tissue, laxity, laxity, elastic, whatever you want to call it changes with hormones. Yep. And then you're, you know, obviously the brain chemistry is going to change as well, you know, cause we got to, there's all follicle stimulating hormone and all these other hormones that got to be released. And then. So what are the changes, the brain tissue as well? Cause clearly if we see it in the connective tissue of the lower extremity, we're probably going to see it in the upper extremity too. Mm-hmm. Or like possibly said, we will. Clicked on it. It was like interesting. <laughs> the difference too much right now. <laughs> yeah. Not reading this. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's super cool. Anything else you would cover? Uh, I think we hit most of it. Cool. Right on. Well, thanks Morgan. This podcast is brought to you by smallbusinesstogrow.com, the website by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Why reinvent the wheel? Start growing your business with best practices from industry-leading small business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs. Take their wheel, put it to work in your business, and start growing today. smallbusinesstogrow.com to learn more.